Most of you know that on Sunday mornings we are studying the essential doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do we believe what we believe? Why is it important for us to believe what we believe? And so we've been going through a number of doctrines that are found in, especially in the New Testament, where we find our doctrine for our conduct, for our life. And we are currently studying the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And last week we considered the aspect of that second coming, that is his coming to the church. And this aspect, this, this doctrine of the coming of the Lord to translate, to rapture his redeemed is such a, an important doctrine. It, it is the basis of our entire hope. Many today are, within Christendom, are putting emphasis on trying to make this earth heaven. And they're not succeeding very well because we know that that's not what the Bible teaches. The Apostle Paul, the one who was given the doctrine, the message of the grace of God for this church age, he says, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most to be pitied. We are to be pitied if, as Christians, our hope is just to make this life the best it can be. No, Jesus is coming again. He's coming to take us. He, he's redeemed us already, but he's coming back for that purchased possession. He gave his lifeblood. And so we considered that coming to the church, to those that have accepted Jesus as their Savior. And, and as we mentioned briefly in that study last week, the rapture of the church is going to be a split rapture. There are ranks in, at different times. And we'll consider the details of that. For some, that will be a new thought, but it's not new to Scripture. And so we'll look at that as kind of a separate area of doctrine where we spell that out clearly. But for now, we know that he's coming for the church, and he may not come in our lifetime. We may go by the way of the grave, but we still live daily as if he's coming, that we might be ready when he comes. And so our hope is an eternal hope. This life is so short. Sometimes it seems long when you're going through difficult trials and different stages of your life. Brother Dave and I were talking as we were old men working on the project there and feeling the pain, uh, how fast life goes at this stage of our life. It just seems like we're coming to the end of 2023 already. How, how can that be? But I remember when I was about 14 or so and waiting for my driver's license. Man, it seemed like forever. And so there are different stages where life can seem long and then other stages where it seems to go quickly. But in the, in the scope of eternity, you look around and life is but a vapor, the Bible teaches us. It's just here for a little while and it's gone. But this life is important. How we live it, what we do in this life is important because this life is a preparation for eternity. Jesus is coming. And so this is why it's so important for us to know how God wants us to conduct ourselves as his children in this life. We are preparing to rule and reign with Jesus Christ for eternity. We have eternal life. We may die a physical death, but Jesus says, if you have faith in him and what he did on the cross, we have eternal life. 
This morning, we're going to consider the the other aspect of the second coming of Christ, and that is his coming in glory to deliver the nation of Israel at the end of the seven years of tribulation. And there, if, if we don't understand these two aspects of the coming of the Lord, his coming to the church, the rapture, which we found out in that time, he'll come in a secret way. He doesn't come to this earth. We meet him in the air. We're caught up to him in the air. And as far as the world is concerned, it's a mystery. They, they won't understand what happened. And it, he doesn't reveal himself as, as the Lord of lords and the King of kings when he comes for us in the rapture. The dead in Christ come with him, spirit and soul, and then their body is resurrected, a glorified body. And those that are alive and remain, they'll never see physical death. They'll be caught up directly. But that's a mystery to the world. But here we see, let's go to Matthew chapter 24 to begin. Matthew 24, beginning of verse 3. Here is his coming at the end of the seven years of tribulation. He will come in glory. And so we're asking several questions here about the coming of the Lord. And the first one is, what precedes the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes in glory? What precedes? What are some of the signs that his coming is close now, remember when we looked at, asked this question concerning his coming to the church, we found out that what precedes the coming of the Lord to the church is apostasy, that those who call themselves Christians will little by little begin to deny truth. They'll begin to deny the authority of the Bible. And we certainly see that that sign is being fulfilled today, isn't it? So many in Christendom. Now, we thank God for there. Numerically, there are probably many Christians that are standing firm on the word of God. And we thank God for that. Wherever Christ is proclaimed and where salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone is preached, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thank God for that. But within those, that umbrella of what we call Christendom, there are so many that are beginning to deny these essential doctrines we've been studying. The resurrection, the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There are denominations, there are churches that are denying that. As far as the, the moral standard of what's right and wrong for God's people, many churches and denominations are beginning to form their doctrine according to the world standard instead of according to the Bible. That's apostasy. They're leaving truth. And that's a sign that Jesus is soon to come. But here we're going to see that there are some specific signs for his coming in glory. And this will be specifically important for Jews of that day, and more specifically, believing Jews, Jews that will accept Jesus as their Savior during the tribulation period. Now, there are so many points that I'm, um, I'm giving you here without going to the doctrine here, but you'll find that these truths, the things that I'm saying, the Bible teaches that. And, and later on, we can have more detailed teaching on that tribulation period. But for now, we'll just give you these points, and then you take some time to do some personal study. Is, is Brother Doug, is he one of those fanatics, or, or does the Bible really teach that? That's the important question. You're, you're, you're not supposed to just believe me because I say it. You're supposed to search the Scriptures and to see if these things are so. But what proceeds his coming in glory? What signs can we see? 
And what we're going to find out, we're already seeing some of the signs of his coming in glory. So that means his coming to the church is even that much closer than when he comes in glory. But let's read Matthew 24. We'll read a lengthy passage here, beginning at verse 3, read through verse 20. Now, as he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, if you go back and read preceding this chapter, Jesus just told them that the temple in Jerusalem was going to be completely destroyed. Not one stone would be left on another. And so this was hard for the disciples to imagine such a glorious building, plus it's the temple of God. That surely couldn't happen. And so they, when Jesus told them that, they had this question, well, when? When will this happen? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. Now, I want you to pay attention to this description here, and we'll, we'll look at what it points to. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Now, many teach these signs that, well, it's the, at the very end that Jesus is coming in glory when you see these things. But notice that Jesus clearly says, no, that's not the end yet. The description that we have is actually the, the description of the entire church age. In our history, since the cross, have there been any wars? Have there been any rumors of wars? Have there been earthquakes? Yeah. There have been a lot of tragedies and tra uh, human-caused tragedies and natural disasters, and they are increasing. But that was during this whole period of time. But Jesus says that's just the beginning of sorrows. The worst is yet to come. Verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. It's important to know that Jesus is talking to Jews. The question had to do with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. So this, these prophecies aren't directed at you and me. They're not directed at the church. These are directed first at Jews in general, but then specifically during the tribulation period, there will be Jews that will be saved. And so now they're calling on the name of Jesus. They recognize Jesus is the Messiah that their predecessors had rejected. And so he's talking to this group and this remnant that will survive the tribulation period, verse 10. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. So Jew will turn against Jew. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, <clears throat> the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. This is one of those verses that's taken out of context by many Christians saying, well, if you're really going to be saved, you have to be faithful and not sin until the day you die, and then you'll be saved. In other words, salvation is by works. But that is to rip this verse out of context. 
It's talking to the Jews during the tribulation period. And so it's talking about those believing Jews that will be faithful to the end. They will be delivered from the final destruction of that tribulation period. They will be delivered, we can say, instead of saved. In this case, that's what saved means. And this gospel of the kingdom, notice this is a little different. This is not the same message that we're preaching today. The gospel of the kingdom has to do for the Jewish nation, the Messiah is coming again. That's the message of the kingdom. That's the kingdom message, gospel. And will be preached in in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let them understand. Well, let us understand. If we took the time to go back to Daniel and then we compare it with the book of Revelation, we see that this abomination of desolation is when the person that is known as the Antichrist, he will stand in the temple in Jerusalem and declare himself to be God. That's what this is referring to. This is when the end is near. It is imminent. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Notice again the location. It it's, has to do with the Jews. It has to do with those in Judea. Flee. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. It won't be a joyous time to be expecting a child at that time as it normally is and should be. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Now, all these passages, you say, well, what a, what a downer, <laughs> Brother Doug. Come on. You need to cheer us up here. Well, as a child of God, first of all, we understand that when these things take place, we'll already be caught up to heaven. Our joy, our expectation, our hope is life and glory and power in Christ Jesus. It's not tribulation. This is all the more reason why we as Christians should live in anticipation of the coming of the Lord. But we are to understand Jesus you know, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to believe everything he said. I believe that things are going to transpire. Things are not going to stay the way they are. You know, we we go through this life and we think, well, you know, the United States will always be the greatest and this will always happen and this will always do that. And things are not going to stay the same. And we see that. How quickly? I mean, the, if nothing else, I hope that this this whole COVID pandemic reminded us of just how quickly things can change globally, how quickly things do not remain the same. I believe what scripture says about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. Let's go down to verse 36 of Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 36 says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man. For, in the, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And in other words, they were eating and drinking. They were just going through life. 
same, same old thing. Things will always be the same. Eat, drink, marry, live, have your life. Things will always be the same. Noah told them, no, the judgment is coming because of the sinfulness of man to reject, to mock their creator. The judgment is coming. Noah entered the ark. There was a way of salvation. This is why our message is so important, to live it and to share it with others, because it's the only ark that can save humanity from the just wrath of God that is coming. Oh, he's long-suffering. He's endured his creature's arrogance and vileness for so many years, but he is a just God. He's, he's a loving God. He's a God of grace and mercy. But his judgment is coming because, and it must come, because he is just. He's right. Enter the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. That's what precedes the coming of Jesus in glory when he comes to judge the world. Zechariah 14. When we see these things happening, several things listed in this passage. And one of them is the hatred of the Jews. Statistically, we are told that the, the acts of violence against the Jewish community is increasing. And that's just in our own country. That's a sign that Jesus is coming in glory, which again, for us, that means his coming is even closer. Are we watching? Zechariah 14, 1 to 3. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord speaks of his judgment on the Christ-rejecting world. And your spoil will be divided in your midst, and I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. This is his coming to deliver the nation of Israel. There are those today in the church that says, no, all the promises made in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel, they now belong to the church. God is done with the Jews. There are many that teach that. That's false teaching. It's not according to Scripture. If God doesn't fulfill his promises to Israel that he made in the Old Testament, then God's a liar. They are promises that are clear that they will inherit the land forever. Now, either that's true or it's not. Those promises don't transfer over to the church. God still has a plan and a purpose for his chosen people, his earthly chosen people. They are going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years when Jesus comes to deliver them from their enemies. And so right before what precedes the coming of the Lord, the Antichrist will declare himself God. Then he will set out to do once and for all wipe off the planet Every single Jew. That's, that's been the plan of many evil men for centuries. But this one's it looks like he's going to do it. In fact, we read that two-thirds of the Jews alive at that time will be killed. That's a lot. But there's a remnant. There will be a remnant of the Jews that will be saved. And they will enter into that kingdom age. That's the gospel of the kingdom. In what manner does he come? Well, for time's sake, I'm getting behind here. Jot down Zechariah 14.4, and we see 
that when Jesus comes in glory at this time, he is coming all the way to the earth. All the world will see him. His feet will touch the Mount of Olives. When he, came, when he comes for the church in the rapture, we'll meet him in the air. When he comes in glory, we see his feet touch the Mount of Olives. This is a fulfillment of Acts 111. If you want to write these down so you know that we're on scriptural ground here. But remember when Jesus ascended after the resurrection, the angel said, This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. That doesn't take place when he comes for the church. Here, Jesus, when, when he ascended, he ascended from earth. And when he comes back, in like manner, it'll be in glory. Matthew 24, let's do read this passage in verse 26 through 31. All the world will know that Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings when he comes. Matthew 24, 26. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert. Do not go out or look, he's in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. They can talk about all that they're Jesus if they want those false prophets. But don't even bother to go look. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. You know when there's lightning, don't you? You don't have to have somebody tell you, oh, there's lightning. Oh, I see it. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. We don't know what that sign is. Some believe it's a cross. We don't know. We're not given in it throughout Scripture any other description of what that might be. But you'll know it when you see it, when those on earth see it. And then all the tribes of the earth. How many? All the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That will be those remaining believing Jews, that remnant of the Jews. What takes place? Number three, the question that we ask, what takes place when, he's, when he comes? Second Thessalonians 2.8. I'm just going to have to give these to you quickly. Second Thessalonians 2.8. The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. When Jesus comes in glory, the Antichrist will be destroyed. Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Israel is delivered. In Revelation 19, when you have time, read that passage to see that the church who's already been taken to heaven, they're going to come back with Jesus when he comes back in glory. The armies of heaven, that's us. We're going to come back with Jesus Christ, but he destroys at the battle of Armageddon when the nations are gathered for one last <coughs> gathering, one, one last attack on Jerusalem. They're going to wipe the Jews off the face of the planet. When they gather together in the valley of Armageddon, that's when Jesus will come and with his word. He's got a whole army. He's got us with him. We're going to share in the glory. We're riding with him, but he doesn't really need us. He's just sharing his victory with us. But he'll destroy all of those nations that come against the nation of Israel.
He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. You can read that in, in that passage in Revelation. What follows? His coming in glory. Revelation 20, verse 6. After Jesus comes and delivers the nation of Israel, what does the Bible tell us is going to happen? Now, all of this, again, if, if it's just so much doctrine, is oh, yeah, we know that, we know that. Do we realize who we serve, who our Savior is? He's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Right now, we have that privilege to, to bend our knee to him. One day, everybody is going to have to do that. They won't have a choice. But the grace of God gives me a choice to serve him, to share in his glory, to share in who he is. And I know he loves me. I, I, I don't want to serve him and, and, and be a part of what he's doing because I fear him, but because I love him. He loved, I was his enemy and he died for me. I was his enemy. We don't pe- preach the book of Revelation so that people will be afraid and accept Jesus. The only way that you're truly going to believe and accept Jesus as your Savior is to be conquered by his love and his mercy. He died for me. I want to live for him. But at the same time, it is an acknowledgement. He's worthy of my service. He's worthy of my praise. He is the Son of God. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. In Revelation 20 and verse 6, we read these words. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So the remnant of the Jews that survived the tribulation, they will reign. This is why it's called the gospel of the kingdom, because it is that kingdom age that was promised and all of those promises in the, in the Old Testament made to Israel, not to the church, there will come a day when they will be fulfilled to the fullest degree. In 1 Corinthians 15, Christ, we we see when you compare Scripture with Scripture, he reigns for a thousand years on earth, and then that, that kingdom is characterized by peace and righteousness. And believe it or not, and, and some Gentile nations that survive the tribulation, they'll also enter into that kingdom age and they will enjoy the benefits of a thousand years of perfect peace and prosperity and righteousness. Utopia, literally utopia on earth at that time for a thousand years. And believe it or not, because many of those Gentiles that enter into the tribulation, it's not because they accepted Jesus as their savior, they just survived. But now they're given an opportunity. And yet at the end of the thousand years, when Satan is released again, there's going to be a short-lived rebellion against the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. That's how vile the human nature is. They had perfect for a thousand years, and they're still not happy. That kind of sounds like the flesh, doesn't it? But it won't, that rebellion won't get very far. He'll shut it down immediately. And then we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, Then comes the end, the end of time, when he delivers, when Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign, Jesus must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under his feet, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted, in other words, the Father. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him, God the Father, 
who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. After that thousand years of tribulation, time will end, and eternity, future eternity. Now, eternity has no beginning or no end, but in in that circle of that endless circle of eternity, God had placed this segment of time, which we call our history. Time. That's how we know it. But now we see that eternity future. Revelation 21 and verse 1. Revelation 21, 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Jesus is coming. He's coming for the church. He's coming to deliver the nation of Israel. And we will enjoy the eternal life that we now possess. May we live in anticipation of his coming. May we understand who it is that we serve, who it is that has committed themselves to our eternal well-being. He is the almighty God. That means that there is no power that can overthrow all the things he's promised us in this life and in eternity. Jesus Christ is worthy of our praise and of our service. Let's have a song in closing this morning.